Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. Thank you. You may head back to your seats and we will be remembering you in prayer as you transition in the next week. You know, we have two verses that I want to share with students and educators that um, really spoke to me as a need for prayer today. And one comes from James 1 chapter 5 that says, if you don't lack sufficient wisdom for the journey ahead, all you need to do is ask God who is generous and he will come through. He will answer those prayers. The other point of confidence as you approach any transition or change in a season of life uh, is inspired by the text Jeremiah 17, 7, for blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is fixed, rooted, grounded in God's power. So may you as students, as educators, as parents, uh, hold on to those verses in the coming days and the coming weeks as you face such an exciting, sometimes stressful uh, transition to school life. For those of you who um, didn't join us last Saturday or missed our online broadcast, we began a new teaching series called Participation. And I know that Vancouver, our Oak Ridge community here, is rich in cultural diversity. We have a lot of newcomers to Canada. And so if you weren't growing up here in the 70s and 80s, this may not be as familiar to you, but um, we saw a lot of participation commercials growing up. And it's something that I credit sort of the healthy values that our nation has to these kind of public service announcements. It's a little nostalgic. Anyone like feeling nostalgic for their youth or childhood in the 80s? And those like great claymation, wow, that was before Wallace and Gromit hit it big. Last week we talked about how the Bible was actually the originator of the just do it message. So we tend to think Nike trademarked it, but actually Canada's participation campaign preceded that. And we find in the Bible, um, last week we reviewed the text, don't just listen to the word and deceive yourself. What comes next? Just do it, do what it says. So we have this caution that if we just absorb knowledge and don't put it into action, we can find ourselves tricked into a false sense of confidence. We can have ourselves feeling um, sort of deceived is the biblical language of thinking that we're better off than we actually are because we haven't put knowledge into action, information into practice. One of the important things that participation did was it guided us to take a, a true look, an assessment of where we were at as a society in terms of health and wellness. And not too long ago, in 2019, participation looked at the activity levels of Canadians. And once again, this is before the pandemic sat us on our butts. In 2019, we were given a D grade. 
ooh, students, you know, I mean, some classes have done away with grades, but I think you still know. A is the better grade, D is not desirable. Um, yeah, D is not good. So we had to kind of face a reckoning that once again is our nation, our society as a culture, are we losing sight of this value, health value, to be active. When it came to kids, they said, you know, in 2018, they did a study and they said, our kids are not active enough. Just because they're playing soccer on the weekends isn't enough activity. Kids really should be aiming for 60 minutes, a full hour. It doesn't have to be continuous, but they need 60 minutes of active time for their brain health, for their brain development. And of course, lots of research has been generated around the world that kids who are given lots of access to outdoor playtime, extended recesses, longer lunch breaks, teachers who incorporate activity into their full curriculum, not just leave it for the PE teacher, those students are doing better. And students who come out of an less active environment, a less active home, into a school or a family that changes their habits and becomes more active, students who are behind even chronically for years can catch up to their peers just by embracing more physical activity. And of course, usually what goes along with physical activity is teamwork, camaraderie, coaching, encouragement, a better sense of self-worth. So we're looking at participation. We're looking at what's happening in our country to take an assessment of our health and wellness and give us some tips and coaching and pep talks. And last week, we began this journey to say, let's reflect. What is the spiritual health of our, us individually and as a church? So thinking about the spiritual activity that you engaged in this past week, whether it was prayer, whether it was some Bible study, whether it was a devotional practice of just calm and peace and quieting your mind and reflecting on nature, maybe a natural environment, and how God is inspiring you through the song of a bird or the beauty of a flower, these kind of intentional spiritual practices. When you think, what is, just like I'm going to assess my daily activity, my my watch has these colored rings that reminds me if I've stood every hour, how many calories I've burnt, how many active minutes. I need a watch that has a special ring for my spiritual activity. What's my spiritual health? To keep that front, front and foremost in my mind as I do a personal assessment. So you don't have to say it aloud. That for those of you online, you don't have to put it in the chat, but I do want you to just pause and think, oh, this week, what would I grade myself in terms of my spiritual health and what activity was helping me get there or not? In the past month, during the summer, this past year of moving through a pandemic and trying to come out of a pandemic, what was prompting spiritual health? Where was I at my spiritual peak? Where do I feel like I was spiritually healthiest? And what were the moments where I felt spiritually compromised or disabled or crippled. 
So last week we talked about how Jesus' teachings could sometimes be perceived as pep talks. He knew that as a rabbi, he was also a coach. He had his disciples, his students, his followers, and he was preparing them for a difficult journey ahead. But he was preparing them, as any good coach does, to expect and anticipate victory. But no victory comes without its share of setbacks and struggles. And so we see that Jesus in his teachings, sometimes we call them parables, but I think today we could fairly call them pep talks. Last week we talked about a a pep talk about um, a farmer who had two children and asked them to help him harvest the crop, harvest the grapes in the vineyard. And we saw two attitudes emerge as Jesus was just recognizing, this is going to happen to all of us. There was the distracted, who at first expressed eagerness to contribute, but probably got distracted and never showed up. And there was the other child who we think was maybe discouraged, because at first they said, no, I can't do that. But in the end, they're the ones who showed up. And we identified that Jesus' little pep talk was like, hey, it's better late than never. You can move through a season of discouragement. You can face distraction. But don't let that be the end of your story. Don't let that be how your journey, uh, the final chapter in your journey. So today we're going to look at Luke chapter 8 for another pep talk by Jesus. And this could also be read in Matthew chapter 13, 1 to 23, or Mark 4, verse 1 to 20. When his disciples asked him, what is the meaning of this story? Uh, Jesus replied in verse 11 to 15. He said, this is the interpretation. The voice of God falls on the human heart like seeds scattered across a field. Some people hear the message, but the devil opposes the liberation that would come to them by believing. He swoops in and he steals the message from their hard hearts, like birds that steal seeds from the footpath. Others receive the message enthusiastically, but their vitality is short-lived because the message cannot be deeply rooted in their shallow hearts. In the heat of temptation, their faith withers like seeds that have sprouted in rocky soil. But a third group hears the message, and as time passes, the daily anxieties, the pursuit of wealth, a life addicted to delights, outpace the growth of the message in their hearts. So even if the message blossoms, The fruit begins to form. The fruit will never fully mature because the thorns choke out the plant's vitality. But some people hear the message and let it take root deeply in their receptive hearts, made fertile by honesty and goodness. With patient dependability, they bear good fruit. There's our assessment today. There's our pep talk today. Does that make you feel like you have an idea of what kind of soil you want your heart to be? That's the point of Jesus in illustrating it so graphically, is that he knows that adversity and trials, discouragement and distraction will come. So he's giving his students 
the heads up. This is real straight talk that he gives us. And he says, in order to overcome those hardships, in order to overcome distraction, discouragement, temptation, you have to build receptivity and resilience in your heart. The soil of your heart has to be just right. So what makes for good soil? What makes for receptivity and resilience? Well, I would say there's two factors here. There is a personal commitment, as we talked about last week, as well as a communal involvement, as well as an investment in community, in the collective family. And we see this when it comes to research on child development, but again, there's a parallel to our spiritual development in that children, young adults, even adults older in life, their well-being, their holistic well-being hinges on positive bonding, attachment, acceptance, love, and connection. You see, the, the seed that really um, bared more than just its own fruits, but that crop that became an abundance and multiplied a hundredfold, a single stalk of grain is not able to do that. If you are a gardener, you want to visit our church community gardens, you can see that the gardens that are actually well-planned and have have. Um, companion gardening, which is allowing different plants to shade them and shelter them, not only does that richen the soil, but it also benefits the growth of those new little seedlings. I want to share with you a story that I read in um, the book Benefits of Belief. You know, God wants us to be healthy and well, to be um, found in community, to be connected with one another, just not for the sake of some random rule. You know, everything that God does is, and says and guides us, it's not just because he's some egotistical deity and wants to kind of test our loyalty. Everything that God has established is for the benefit of his children. He is better than any good parent that we encounter on this planet. So every guidance, every instruction, even if we don't understand it at first, has some very real and tangible, now researched benefits to our mental health, our physical health, our longevity, our vitality. So in this book, Benefits of Belief, um, the author, Julian Melgoza, tells the story of his friend, Francesco Gellibert. Now, Francesco was born in Spain, and the year was 1974. This was a few years after the civil unrest, and this was a period, I mean, we're just talking about 45 years ago, in which it was illegal to be anything but Roman Catholic. And Francesca was Seventh-day Adventist. He wanted to honor God's instructions and guidance for living his life and living out his faith. In that time, in 1974, there was also compulsory military service. 
So all young men had to attend boot camp, and they would be assigned a role where they had to serve one or two years for the benefit of their country. And it was at the boot camp that Francesc found himself in a closing mask, mass ceremony and being asked to kneel before the Holy Host. Ten seconds that changed his life because he refused. And he was immediately incarcerated. He waited in prison for eight months before he even came to trial. And when he came to trial, he was sentenced to three years. This was the rocky soil. This was the attack of birds. This was the trampling that we read about. The difficulties of the environment he found himself in. How would he cultivate a soil for his faith to flourish and grow? He said two things were essential to maintain his sanity and his hope. One was prayer, and the other was the scripture that he had committed to memory beforehand. You see, even though he was at fault for not being a practicing Catholic, he wasn't even permitted to have a Catholic Bible in his cell. And so he reflected on the verse that came to mind the most, Romans 8, uh, verse 18, that says, I reckon the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. This was the verse, the scripture, the message that kept him going. When we connect with God, when we orient our lives in faith, in a Christian worldview, in a biblical worldview, we have the edge, we have a benefit of living this life not with a temporal mindset, but with an eternal mindset. And it's this eternal perspective that can actually give us strength, and power in situations that would just crumble and squash another human being without that, if you're just living for the moment, for the here and now. After advocacy from the Seventh-day Adventist church and his wife, he was, had a fiancé before he was incarcerated. They got married while he was in prison. They were able to advocate his case. And six months before uh, General Franco died, he actually issued him a pardon. So instead of a three-year sentence, he got out after two years. Now one could ask, was it worth it? Was it worth it to refuse to kneel before the Holy Host? Was it, were those 10 seconds of commitment worth the lost years? For him, yes. He says it was well worth it. He said that in prison, behind bars, I learned patience, which was the virtue I lacked the most. I also learned that there are people with a heart, even among my fellow prisoners and military chiefs. But above all, my faith grew and was confirmed. And I call it a victory. I called it a victory then, and I still call it a victory today. Not an immediate victory, but a decisive and a solid victory that brought me closer to God, made me a happier Christian, 
and led me to live the blessed hope more intensely. Being loyal and obedient to God is not always easy. It may bring us into unpleasant circumstances, difficult decisions, hard consequences in the short run, but the Lord is faithful and he gives us a promise of an everlasting victory. If you're doing the assessment, if you're doing an honest reflection, and you are thinking today like, oh, my spiritual fitness is not where it could be, is not where it should be. If you're recognizing that maybe your heart is more rocky than receptive, here is the good, good news. Is that while a seed exposed on a rock remains unchanged, if there is even the slightest crack in which that seed can rest, in which the moisture, the life-giving water can collect, the dust that's rich with nutrients could, could find a way just to kind of accumulate. Just a pinch of soil is all it takes to move from a seed and a rock remaining unchanged, exposed in the sun, exposed to the cold, to something truly transformational. Wherever you are today, if you feel like the word of God, the message of Jesus has landed on the exposed path or rocky ground or thorny ground, remember that transformation can happen in a minute. It can happen with a prayer. It can happen with one little tiptoe of faith. One scripture that you allow to sink into your heart. One truth, one hope that you allow yourself, you give yourself permission to believe could be true for you. And let us have rock-splitting faith here at Oak Ridge Avenue Church. Let us have rock-splitting faith in our individual lives, in our families, in our homes, in our schools, and in our communities. Let's pray together. Father God, we hear the words of your pep talk that was spoken thousands of years ago but still was preserved for us today. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be finding the cracks in our hardened hearts, would allow us to look in the mirror and with honesty acknowledge we need to repent. We need to return to center our lives on a beautiful truth, the eternal gospel. Lord, help us not be distracted and discouraged um, day by day, but as you, as you pray, give us today our daily bread. Give us just enough hope, just enough faith, just enough strength to live committed to you. Again, help us create and cultivate those routines and practices that maintain our connection, that help us abide in you. Help us to remember to call upon you in prayer in the middle of the day, in the middle of the afternoon, as we go to sleep, as we wake up. 
Help us to put that Bible app first and foremost on our phones so we have a reminder of your promises, of your counsel, of your blessings. Lord, today again, as we enjoy the Sabbath, may you be working to restore and transform our lives, our hearts, our souls. Help us live out the vision of this church, which is to be a place where everyone can freely experience your grace and the transformative power of your love so that we can in turn transform the world around us. We ask this blessing in your beautiful and holy name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.